You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1213 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. As always, making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You can watch me right now. Just for a PSA sake, I am not recording my normal setup, as you can probably see if you're watching on YouTube. So my apologies for the uh, audio quality, if there's any uh, weirdness there. But I want to at least get you guys a podcast, uh, even despite some schedule challenges on this Thursday. Because a lot happened in Hawksland. I wasn't sure that I was going to have a show tonight, but sort of a bonus episode of some, of some record uh, on this spot. Because there was some news, which we'll touch on in a second, with Skylar Mays. And there was some implications on the Eastern Conference side with a couple of major losses outside of the Hawks that actually contribute potentially to Friday night's game. So... And also some mailbag questions. Got a lot of questions building up in the mailbag, and I wanted to sort of take time now in this intermediary time between the season and the play-in, which will be coming fast and furious. No matter what the Hawks do now, they'll be playing at the very latest only two or three days after they play the, the last regular season game on Sunday, as we'll touch on later on the podcast. So plenty to get to on this Thursday evening into Friday, and thank you, as always, for joining us. As for the news, Skylar Mays made some news a little bit on Thursday. The Hawks announced that Skylar Mays has been converted to a full NBA contract. He, of course, has been on a two-way deal all year long. It's been him and Sharif Cooper on two ways. I won't go into the absolute crazy detail on all of this, but the big things of why this matters, I will touch on now. For one, Mays is now eligible to actually appear in the playoffs. That's the biggest reason on the team side why the team would do this, because unlike last year where there was all kinds of weirdness coming out of the pandemic, all that fun stuff, um, players cannot suit up in the postseason this year if they are still on a two-way deal. They have to be converted or something else to actually take the floor in the playoffs. Obviously, it's kind of unlikely that Mays actually plays in a playoff game in a rotation because he hasn't really played much of the rotation, rotation all year long. But having some extra depth, particularly in the playoffs, when if you get an injury, there's not a whole lot of ways to replace that guy, could be very useful. I think we saw last year when Mays was actually in the rotation for quite a while, He's a pretty solid fill-in type of option. I've always been a little bit higher, higher on Skyler Mays than most people, but I think he is a pretty capable rotation guard. I don't, I'm not bothered by him not playing this year for the most part, but I think if you get an injury to, let's say, DeLon Wright, or God forbid, Trey turns an ankle in a playoff series, you need somebody to play some guard minutes, and I think Skyler Mays won't kill you, and that's actually pretty valuable. So um, on the team side, that's the main reason to do this, because they do have some depth and they have the open roster spot, which is also important to note because the Hawks had to have a spot open to make this conversion. And of course, Mace has to agree to it as well. But uh, it's pretty favorable for Skyler. Um, also, again, it's pretty easy to do this because the Hawks had a brush spot open, which they kind of let themselves open to some flexibility and never kind of had to use it with a 10 day or whatever else they could have done with that spot. Um, worth noting that Sharif Cooper is still on a two way, so he will not be playoff eligible unless something changes in the near future. And I think, though, if it came down to it, and Hawks fans won't always love this because the truth is very popular, I think if McMillan had to choose between playing Mays or playing Cooper in a playoff series right now, he would play Mays, and so would I. I think Cooper obviously has much higher upside long term, but I think right now today, Mays is just a lot safer, better defender, bigger, uh, all that fun stuff. So I think that's really what this comes down to. It's a short-term kind of thing, even though um, Mays is still a relatively young player in the NBA. Um, that's the reason why they, why they do this at this point in time. Um, on Scholar's side of things, the thing that's sort of a slight tweak here that's worth noting if you are a salary cap nerd like I am is that it's a slight tweak in his free agency status. 
Um, the, How the Hawks now, in order to keep his restricted rights, which are pretty valuable to be able to match on any offer, have to at least offer him a minimum contract rather than a two-way. If you're on a two-way at the end of the season, all you have to do if you're the team to keep that guy under control is to offer another two-way, which is what happened to Mays last year. I thought Skyler was going to end up in a real contract this season, but because he was still on a two-way from last year, the Hawks were able to just kind of lowball him and bring him back on that. Um, so if you're Mays, now there's more flexibility for the future in that either the Hawks offer you a minimum contract, which you can either sign or go to free agency, or if the Hawks don't want to keep you, um, you're now going to get your um, sort of your free agency and be able to go wherever you want. So if you're Mays, if you're a fan of Mays, it's probably good for his career overall. That does not mean they're guaranteed to bring him back next year, but I think it gives Mays more leverage. And if I'm the Hawks, if he uh, is someone that I think is a quality rotation guard, which I actually kind of do, keeping him on a cheap contract makes some sense. He's a little bit older, which is worth noting. He'll be 25 next season, which is not old by any means, but for a guy who just came in the league recently, he was an old college player, which is why he fell so far in the draft, was one of the reasons why he fell so far in the draft. But I think if you can get him for the next couple of, couple of seasons on a, on a cheap contract, probably worth that kind of money. So um, we'll talk about this more in the offseason, obviously, but congrats to Skyler on a little bit of a bump in his contract. And we'll see if he ends up playing at all down the stretch, potentially on Sunday when the Hawks play Houston or in the playoffs if it gets a sort of emergency situation or if he comes back next year. But we'll touch on all that later on. That was uh, not expected, but also makes a lot of sense. It's sort of a low-key move, but just a logical one because the Hawks had the roster spot open. They had Mays available, and uh, he gives them some depth that they didn't already have for the playoffs. Okay, with the news out of the way, we'll have some mailbag questions here. At the end of the podcast, we'll come back around and sort of circle back on all of the uh, various playoff machinations, play-in machinations, matchups and stuff like that at the end of the podcast. But first, some questions. So one comes from Adam, who asks, how real is the Hawks' run compared to last season? I think right now this is him asking me. Um, they are 25-13 to finish the season, and that feels pretty similar to last year. So – I checked this out. Obviously, the Hawks are 25-13 in the last 38 games, which is uh, accurate. So thanks to Adam for being right on that. Um, it is obviously some cherry picking there and that the Hawks had just lost five in a row, if you want to pick that arbitrary date, and they won seven in a row right after that. So probably a little bit a little bit friendly to them to pick that date. But in those 38 games, the Hawks have a plus 4.6 net rating. That is number six in the NBA since MLK Day. That's a pretty good number for this Hawks team. Now, the schedule is very favorable over that time period, as I've said a few times, but you start to win the games. And I think we knew that coming into the second half of the schedule that was much much easier. But still, they've been playing quite well for a while. They're 14 and 8 since the All-Star break. That's probably a little bit closer to where they actually had been playing. But still a plus 4 or so net rating in that sample. Uh, again, the schedule's pretty easy, but you start to win the games. And at home, they've been awesome. Talked about this last night on the podcast. If you missed it, by the way, I did a full breakdown of Wednesday night's win. And Tuesday night's win. And also Glenn Wells on the show earlier in the week. So a full week of podcasts already. But last night... Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but the Hawks are 19 and three in their last 22 at home. And that helps you overall, obviously, when you're just dominating in your own building. So big picture, the Hawks are 14th in the NBA in net rating this season, which is actually better than the record for the season. I think they're pretty similar to last year's team, honestly, in, in terms of actual team quality. You know, last year they had the injury issues um, more so with guys like Hunter and Reddish being unavailable for long periods of time and being really shorthanded on the wing, but they also had guys who are more quality fill-ins like Tony Snell and Solomon Hill this year. They have a little bit better injury look at the top, but also they had the COVID weirdness in the middle of the season and then also didn't have those stock gaps uh, behind them with, with Hill uh, injured and then traded and then also Snell off the team and they had to go a little bit deeper into their roster. So crucially, the big thing is right now they don't have John Collins. And if that were to be the case moving forward, we're going to ask you a question about that later on in the podcast. But if they don't have Collins, they're not as good as they were last year on paper. 
I know that they were missing Hunter and Reddish in the playoffs, but with all due respect to those guys, Collins is a lot better than those guys, especially last year, um, even this year. Um, so that's a pretty big absence. Now, in terms of like team quality stuff, the only guy in the top nine for the Hawks coming into the year that's played fewer than 50 games is a Kongwu. And they played, they've actually gotten 72 games or more out of Trey, Capella, Herter, and Wright. Obviously, Collins has been hurt for a while. Gallo's had some injuries, et cetera, but they have not been too, knock on wood, beat up by injuries this year, other than the COVID weirdness, which definitely was problematic for the Hawks. No question about that. Last year, kind of similar. It was Trey, Collins, Capella, and Herter that were all pretty healthy throughout the year, and nobody else was. Bogey was out for a while. Hunter Rush basically never played, et cetera. The biggest defense, sorry, difference this year, other than the other than the roster with Collins out, is that the path is going to be harder for them in the playoffs on paper. Um, last season, famously, they had that close, they had that run at the end to get off to the 4-5 matchup, ended up playing the Knicks, who were a pretty fraudulent four seed. Now, you know, the Hawks still had to win that series, and people have pointed this out, that people, a lot, not a lot of people picked the Hawks that series. I did pick the Hawks in that series, so I'm not in that group. But nationally, it is certainly fair to say the Knicks were picked by a lot of people to win that series. I never bought it. But regardless, the team they play this year, if they win the if they win in the play-in and get out of the playoff, get into the playoffs, is going to be a lot better than that Knicks team in the first round. Uh, second round, we'll see. Obviously, they beat the Sixers in um, pretty impressive and upsetting fashion. If you are a Sixers fan, but um, that first round series obviously a lot easier this time around than it was last year. So if you're trying to figure out if they're going to make a run, I think it's more difficult this year on paper, especially without Collins. Um, if they have Collins back. We'll see. I don't think there's a huge gap between the Hawks and the top teams in the East if they are at full strength, but we'll see how that goes. I think it's pretty fair to argue, though, overall at this point in time that the Hawks are pretty similar to last season, which gives you some confidence, obviously, because, of course, they made that run, the Conference Finals, and uh, not quite the same team without Collins, in particular on defense. I think they definitely missed John in a big way defensively. This is on offense, too, but especially on defense with Gallinari as being the primary fill-in, nothing really behind that, but that limits their ceiling, but I think if they are at full strength, even without Collins, they're pretty frisky. If they have Collins, they're pretty scary. And I think uh, it's pretty reasonable overall to draw comparisons to last year's team because honestly, you know, player for player, it's pretty similar to what they had on the court last year. Not, not all the way through, but certainly similar, not, if not exactly the same. We'll have more, uh, of course, coming on Collins, the rotation stuff, as well as some current standings talk and some scenarios and play late into the evening on this Thursday into Friday. But first, it were from our sponsors on the podcast. The Masters is happening this week. I know in the Southeast, that's actually a huge deal. Tons of national interest as well. And international interest, I know I absolutely love the Masters as someone who grew up in Georgia. And with that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and sports information this year and always. From the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more, BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest developments in sports, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Of course, not just golf or basketball either. They have Honestly, all the wagering information you could possibly want and also live betting, favorite casino games, and much more. And they have odds on all kinds of other sports. That includes baseball, which got underway on Thursday, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, much more beyond that as well. And it's a great time to look at the future market, both in baseball, with the season now underway, but still World Series options, and et cetera, et cetera. And the NBA with playoffs approaching in earnest, there's lots of future stuff as well in the East and the West and full title odds, et cetera. Head to the website right now at betonline.net on your computer mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action in the sports world. One more time, that is betonline.net for all of the sports information and stuff that you could possibly want. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, next question coming from Todd, who asks, what would your rotation be in the play-in if Collins does not come back? And then if he is back, what about if he can actually play? So if anybody's just catching up on this, the latest update on Collins, not really an update at all. It was pretty much a non-update last Friday, so six days ago as I record this. The Hawks said 
recently that he's been progressing his rehab, which of course is good from the plantar fascia tear and the finger sprain, but his return is going to be dependent on the upcoming medical evaluation and consultation with medical staff. So basically, no update at all from the Hawks. Then later, McMillan said, which by the way, the head coach is not always the best messenger of injury updates. I've, I've learned that over years. That Collins has been doing some light running, which is a step forward and some shooting with no setbacks. That's a positive, but nothing really to move forward towards playing. So we'll see. I think um, overall, as of today, with what we know now publicly, if we're not being lied to, we could be we could be being lied to. That's definitely in play. I would guess, or at least I'm skeptical that he plays in the play-in. The play-in is faster than you think. The Hawks will be playing in only a few days from now, literally a few days from now in the play-in. So if I had to guess, I say you have to assume no Collins. Now, he might play. I'm not ruling it out by any means. Don't listen to, if anything else, hear this. I'm not ruling John Collins out. But if I had to guess, I would say he doesn't play. So as for the question, I will answer both sides of it because there is some context needed. But um, I'll start with the first part, um, the current reality of life without Collins. The rotation that I would use would be the exact same rotation they used on Wednesday. So the Hawks played eight guys, which we talked about a lot on the show last night. And I think these eight guys, no matter what, if they are healthy, are locks to play in game one or the play-in game or whatever you want to say in the postseason. That's Trey Young, of course, and DeLon Wright in the backcourt, Kevin Herter, Mike Magdanovich, um, DeAndre Hunter, Dilo Gallinari, Click Capella and Kongu. Those eight guys who all played on Wednesday, and that was the core rotation on Wednesday, that would be the guys that I would play in a play-in game right now without Collins. Um, I think that would be my rotation, and they must win playoff game, no question. I think that if you're being realistic, and I try to be on this podcast, if I had to guess, I think Nate would play Lou Williams um, and have nine guys in the rotation. Of course, Lou was unavailable on Wednesday. We'll see if he plays on Friday, by the way. He's listed as questionable. But even if Lou was healthy, I would not play Lou. That's not a situation where I'm going to be banging on the table for it. I think uh, I can at least see the reasoning why you would play Lou for a few minutes without Trey. Crucially, I would not play him with Trey ever. But if it was up to me, I'd play eight guys. And it would be the eight guys that played on Wednesday. Um, if Collins returns, it would be those same eight guys plus Collins. So I'd play nine. And that's still with no Lou Williams. I think, again, it's not an absolute lock that Nate trims it down. It wouldn't stun me if he played TLC a few minutes. It wouldn't stun me if he tried something else like Lou, of course. He seems to value Lou pretty well. But, you know, Wednesday's game was the first time in a long while that he actually just played the best guys. And I think in the playoffs in particular, you know, famously the Hawks kind of played 10 guys in the Knicks series last year. And I was kind of losing my mind about that. He got better later, later on in the playoffs. I do think that most teams uh, like to trim it down in the playoffs. And uh, for me, it's a pretty sizable gap from my trust level from those eight guys to everybody else, you know, certainly Lou seems to be number nine on the list, followed by maybe TLC and a trustworthy meter, but eight guys plus Collins would be what I would do to answer the question at this point in time. Um, just before we get to everything else that's uh, lingering on the podcast, I got a lot of questions about the future stuff and I'm definitely going to answer them. No question about that in the near future, but um, I'll just remind you now, this is a podcast that does not go away when the season ends. In fact, I really start digging in very deeply on some certain topics, draft stuff, free agency stuff, uh, contract stuff, payroll, salary cap, all that stuff. So I got questions about the under Hunter. I almost answered a few of those, but I have limited time on this evening. Let's just say Hunter's not playing very well recently, and there's a lot of questions about whether he'll be extended this offseason. My short version on that, by the way, would be that I would not extend him unless it was a super team-friendly offer, like maybe what Herter got, maybe. And uh, let's just say that's not likely in my mind to get done. But I do think that uh, given what he has not proven, and I think there was that stretch last year where he was awesome early in the season, and I was a fan of his in the draft, and I'm not I'm not closing the door on Hunter being a good player in the future, but if you look at what he's done for three seasons, he's proven less entering his 
extension offseason than Herter had proven by a lot. I think Herter, obviously, you could argue might be a lower upside player in some ways because of his physical stuff and, de- and defensive stuff, et cetera. But he had proven a lot more and still didn't get his massive contract. It's a pretty good deal for the Hawks in my mind. So that's a short version. I promise you I will touch on Hunter stuff and uh, extension stuff and cap stuff and MLE and draft, all that stuff in the future. But that's my uh, short summary just to say that it's coming. I promise just not today. Last thing before we get to a break, and then we'll get into the uh, look-ahead stuff the rest of the way. The play-in schedule is now available. Um, The Hawks will be playing either on Tuesday, which is the 12th, I believe, of April, um, or they'll be playing on Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday is going to be a 7-8 game in the East. So if the Hawks obviously want to play in that game, if 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 at all possible, if the Hawks were to win their last two games, they want to get into that 7-8 matchup, and they'll be playing on Tuesday. If they don't do that and they're in the 9-10, they'll be playing on Wednesday. Regardless, if they are still alive or, uh, okay, let's just say this. If they were to win on Tuesday, if you're just as a reminder of how the play-in works, if you win the 7-8 game, you are into the full playoffs uh, as the as the seven seed. So that means you would not play until the weekend. So they'd have at least uh, three days off before they at the earliest could play on Saturday. Um, if they were to lose the 7-8 game on Tuesday, they would play Friday against the winner of the 9-10 game. If they were in the Wednesday's 9-10 game, then you got to win twice in a row. You got to win Wednesday, and then you got to win again on Friday, uh, and Friday being a road game if you're in the 9-10. So that's the short version. It's not a traditional 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9, and the people uh, I think are still screwing that up right now. At least some people are. 7-8 is who you play uh, You know, if, in that first matchup. You want to be in that game because it gets you two chances. We'll come back to that in a second. But the biggest thing is that it cuts down variance. The thing about the NCAA tournament is that it's one and done. Um, the NBA playoffs, it's all about sample size and trying to reward the best teams. But in the play-in, it's one game. If Trey Young goes out and shoots five of 25, you're in some trouble in a one-game scenario. So the best thing is to get two games. And that means getting into 7-8, giving yourself two chances to get in, to, to, to pick up one win. And that, uh, that adds a lot of variance. That uh, just Sorry, it takes away a lot of variance. That just won't be there anyway. Okay, we'll dive in now to the rest of the sort of uh, podcast as it is. I'm going to use a question from Eric as a framing device here, but sort of the uh, overarching play-in slash standings discussion. I waited to record this podcast until the games were over that involved the Hawks on this Thursday, and the standings are as follows. Uh, by the way, the question is, what should the Hawks be rooting for the rest of the week, and what are the favorite player scenarios in play? So standings right now, Hawks are tied for eighth with Brooklyn at 42 and 38. No change there. Brooklyn was off tonight, as was as were the Hawks. Cleveland also off tonight. They are a full game ahead of the Hawks and, and, and the Nets at 43 and 37. Oh, they have a very difficult schedule the rest of the way. They play Brooklyn on Friday and then Milwaukee in the finale. Charlotte won tonight. So they're only a game back now at 41 and 39. So uh, all four teams separated by only two games. As a reminder, the Hawks tiebreaker stuff, they actually have the two-way tiebreaker against Cleveland and Charlotte, but they lose it to Brooklyn. So if they were to get in a two-way tie with Brooklyn, they lose that one. Two-way tie with Cleveland or Charlotte, and they win that one. So best case scenario in terms of what I would say right now is to get to the seven seed no matter what. Obviously, perfect world, seven seed against non-Brooklyn is the best case scenario. But honestly, the biggest thing for me because of what I just said before about Trey Young and uh, this is the low variance and all that stuff, get to seven, have have two home games. Because if you even if you lose a home game in the 7-8, you have another home game in the 9-10. And that, um, given what, the way the Hawks have been playing at home, that'd be pretty big. Because again, they are 19-3 in the last 22 at home. After that, so number, one more time, number seven seed, best case scenario. After that, I think the best case scenario would be the Hawks as the eight seed against Cleveland as the seven seed. Now, that may not be likely because Cleveland's not playing well, but they are getting some help. Uh, there's some rumblings that Mobley and or Allen could return in the near future. And if Cleveland, 
even with those guys, I would still rather play Cleveland than Brooklyn and Charlotte. Uh, you can certainly debate Cleveland versus Charlotte if Cleveland is healthier than they've been so far, or at least recently. But no matter what, get to the eight seed, and that's uh, more important than uh, who they play. Worst case scenario, let's just say, to answer the question, uh, would be playing the Nets in the 9-10. Not likely at all, I would say, because I think the Hawks are going to be favored in at least one of the last two games, if not both. The Nets will be favored in both of their last two games, and they, you need a lot of losses between those two teams to actually play them in the 9-10, so I'm not really worried about that scenario necessarily. I do think in the 9-10 game, if they're playing the Hornets or the Cavs, I would pick the Hawks in that game in a one-versus-one, but again, one bad night ends your season in the 9-10, so stay out of there if you possibly can. As far as getting out of the play-in scenarios, I think just getting out is the biggest thing. People want to ask me, like, who you want to play in the first round? And I certainly would say, I'll give you the answer, but number one is just get out of the play-in. Um, you can't be too picky because of the way – I guess your penalty for having a bad season so far, at least according to expectations, is that you have to just try to get out at this point. Miami tonight, actually, clinched number one overall seed in the Eastern Conference. And we'll come back to this in a second because the Hawks played them on Friday. But if the Hawks get at number eight, they're playing the Heat. At number one, Miami is number one. That is locked in. That cannot change. It's the only thing that can't change right now is Miami number one. Right now, Milwaukee, by virtue of their win tonight over Boston, is the two seed. And I've said before, I'll say it again now, if there's a team that I don't want to play, if I'm the Hawks, it's Milwaukee. Now, they could certainly beat Milwaukee if they played a great series. I'm not saying Milwaukee is like in their own tier necessarily or that they're this unstoppable force. They've not been that this season, but because of who they have on the roster, the fact that they have experience, continuity, they have home court, they have Giannis, who I think is the best player in the East, uh, at least in the playoff scenario. Uh, maybe, maybe Kevin Wright, you could argue, but one of those guys, certainly a top two or three player in the Eastern Conference if you want to just be uh, casual about it. And Trey's, by the way, not far behind that. Um, regardless, though, I wouldn't want to play Milwaukee, but again, if it's like get out of the play-in, which means get the seven seed by winning the first game, if you see Milwaukee, you see Milwaukee. Uh, just pre- preferentially, I would want to avoid them, but I think in the stands right now, you're uh, – the likely opponents for the Hawks in the first round, if they were to get there, would be Miami. Or Miami is definitely going to be one of the two options, and then Milwaukee is likely to be the uh, number two seed, if I had to guess, right now. Last thing on the show before we get out of here is that the Hawks play, of course, on Friday in Miami. And on paper, tough matchup, for sure, because Miami playing at home. The Heat, I think, have been a little bit overrated this year by some people. I, I'm not quite as scared of them as some are, but they're still a good basketball team. They are a well-coached basketball team. They play great defense, etc. But there's some context involved in this one. So they clinched tonight, and actually they, they needed a Boston loss and a Philly loss to clinch. And if you're being a Hawks homer, you would say that was a great night for the Hawks, even though they didn't play, because there's a chance. I'm not saying that it's definitely going to happen. I saw some Hawks fans celebrating when I tweeted this out. I think Miami could just play their guys. That's in, that's in play. I'm not saying it's, it's impossible. They do have one more game off. If they play their guys on Sunday, I'll be pretty surprised. But – it isn't a loss that Miami just pedals off here, but it certainly in, increased the odds that Miami does not play their best players on Friday. At the moment, the injury reports are as follows. The Hawks have Lou Williams as questionable after he missed the game on Wednesday, and Collins, of course, is still out. Gallo and Bogdanovich are not listed at all, which is a very good sign. Uh, both those guys have been on the injury report a ton recently, so I'm not sure if that's just like intentional progress, but regardless, those guys are not on the injury report and uh, will presumably play on Friday. The Heat are currently listing Dwayne Dedman, old friend, Kayla Martin, Gabe Vincent, Markeith Morris, and Omar Yurtseven as questionable for the game. P.J. Tucker, who's one of their better defensive players, of course, is out. Um, they're not, at this moment, Thursday evening late, listing Butler or Hero or Bam Adebayo or Kyle Lowry, any of those guys on the injury report. Now, they could pull the plug, and that, that would not surprise me at all. But right now, that's where the scenario lies. If 
the Hawks, uh, sorry, if the Heat play their guys, which I don't think you can assume, but if they play their guys, uh, the Hawks will probably be underdogs in the game. In fact, right now at Bet Online, our friends over there, the Hawks are two point underdogs in Miami. That is building in a little bit of fear. I think if you're the sports book side, that Miami might pull their guys because I think if the Hawks were facing a heat team that had to win, that line would probably be like four, four and a half, something like that, maybe five. So they're building it in a little bit, but at this moment, right now, today, the Hawks are slight underdogs in that game. Obviously, if they were if they were not to play Butler, Adebayo, or Lowry, or any of the any any combination of those three guys, the Hawks probably become favorites in the game. But uh, Atlanta needs this game, and Miami does not. So that's important to note. If the Hawks go out and win the last two games, they're in a great spot. Um, and of course, Houston is waiting on Sunday. Nothing is guaranteed in the NBA ever. Nothing is guaranteed in the NBA ever. But, of course, uh, even on the road, Houston's a team that the Hawks should beat if they uh, show up and play reasonably well in the finale. So I've said a lot, but at the moment, the Hawks are in a pretty good spot. Part of that is that they finished the season so strong, playing especially at home, but winning a bunch of games, as I talked about before. They are now 25-13 and 13 in, the last thir- in the last 38 games, and that really matters. Uh, so all that said, they're, I think you're probably feeling good right now if you're a Hawks fan, both in terms of matchup stuff and uh, first-round stuff and the way they've closed the season. Uh, it is a, it is a tough road, as I said a couple times on this podcast already. But uh, at least there is hope. Uh, you know, midseason, it felt like the Hawks were going to have this season end on Sunday or maybe Tuesday, and I think there is a lot of optimism now they could be uh, playing for a couple more, a couple more weeks at least. So that's a positive. We'll have more on the game on Friday after the game, as always on the show. Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. YouTube is also uh, getting a little bit closer to the goal of a thousand subscribers in the near future. So thank you for that. But please, please, please share. This podcast, spread the word for us, get us some uh, extra views and subscriptions. That really, really helps the show grow. Reviews uh, are also very nice on Apple Podcasts and ratings, etc. Also, follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Thank you for listening to this relatively short podcast on a Thursday into Friday. And we'll be back again in about 24 hours, breaking down everything from Hawks Heat. We'll see you then.